Throughout human history, societies have grappled with fundamental questions of how to organize themselves. Government does nothing as well or as economically as the private sector of the economy. Tech companies are actually taking over the world, and they're doing it with our government's help. But there also seems to be a growing awareness that they have become so big that they have too much power now. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and is gravely to be regarded. There's a hidden goal driving the direction of all of the technology we make. For well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that combines military, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific, technological elite. People all over this country are wondering whether or not this great country is evolving into an oligarchic society. This alternative vision argues that ordinary men and women are too small-minded to govern their own affairs, that order and progress can only come when individuals surrender their rights to an all-powerful sovereignty. Now we can see a new world coming into view, a world in which there is a very real prospect of a new world order, and today that new world is struggling to be born, the dream of a new world order. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Foundations. My name is Joshua. Today's episode is slightly special. I realized when I released the previous episode that that was episode number 99. And so this episode would make number 100. And many people would do a special episode on their 100th episode, but I, uh, for the most part, will not. But I will go ahead and make my decision on what to do today's episode on slightly based on that. So I'll do something a little special. I think at least, it will be the predictions episode. And this should be pretty fitting because the election for 2020 takes place in just a few days. And so by the time this episode drops, we probably still will not know who is president, but it will be just around the corner. And so since that is included in my predictions, that should be fairly interesting. So I want to just go ahead and jump in. I'm going to just shoot through all these things fairly off the top of my head, like I've been doing in this little interlude between season two and season three. So let's just get started with some themes of what I think the next, let's say, year to five years is going to hold, especially 2021 and uh, obviously the rest of 2020. But some of these things I think will be more of a two to five year deal when they're really starting to ramp up. And these are my predictions. So more than likely, they will not all happen, or at least they won't all happen exactly the way I see. And that is perfectly fine. These are just my opinions, my predictions, my personal feelings about things. So let's start off with the theme of some key phrases that you should hear multiple times. I've mentioned this first one a few times on previous episodes, and it came up in the second presidential debate as well. Biden said it, and Trump repeated it, and I think Biden had repeated it twice. And uh, it's the phrase dark winter. And if you're watching the news, if you do that sort of thing to yourself, then you have heard this, I am sure, in different uh, broadcasts and interviews and things like that. This phrase, the dark winter, we're going to have a dark winter. And it's all this idea of 
it's going to be rough and we're going to have this second wave. That was another um, theme that was being uh, preemptively pushed upon people and preparing people for this before we even had any idea whether or not that was going to happen. And so we have this idea of a dark winter. And the second theme is that of the Great Reset. And it's this idea that this crisis, um, and I will propose that it's this crisis of the dark winter is what will cause this great reset. The great reset is another phrase I've mentioned multiple times. That is the key phrase of the World Economic Forum right now. And that is being pushed by many other groups of that nature. And it's this idea that we're having a reset of everything, of the economy, of the equality of worldwide citizens, of sustainable development, all these things. Basically, we're having this big crisis. The old systems are crashing and we need these new systems. It's a reset. It is the great reset. Also, James Corbett recently did a few episodes on the great reset. I believe he did an interview with Pete Raymond or Peter R. Quinones, depending on how he introduces himself on the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. And then I believe he did, uh, Corbett did a solo episode on the Corbett Report, specifically on the Great Reset for both of those. So those have been released within the past few weeks, and they were interesting. So if you want some more specific information on that with some really good, well-researched opinions, that would be the source. And they go into detail about the World Economic Forum, how they're presenting it, all these kinds of things. Very interesting. I would highly recommend it. But uh, the third phrase to move on would be build back better. That is one that has been used by Boris Johnson in the UK all the way to uh, potential President Biden. And it has been used by many people in between. The idea of building back better is very similar to the Great Reset, where once everything has been destroyed or uh, demolished or proven to be non-functioning, whatever you want to, however you want to phrase that, The idea is that after this, we build back, but we build back better. We build back differently. This time, we are going to structure things in a way where we promote things like equality and social justice and, yes, sustainable development, all the key buzzwords there. And so that is the final theme. And my predictions kind of follow these themes of the dark winter, the great reset, building back better. And overall, I would kind of categorize all of these concepts and theories as destruction for recreation. You destroy to create or to recreate. And this is the idea of what I think is going on. I had talked about in my first COVID episodes, I did an interlude in the the middle, I guess, of season two. And I did a trilogy on COVID-19. But that was at the beginning of this pandemic. It was back when we were going to lock down for two weeks, and then it was going to be all over. This was, I think, back in March, roughly, maybe April, somewhere around there. And when I recorded those episodes, I specifically mentioned that I did not think that this was going to be the event. Basically, this concept that uh, now is much more solidified than it was at that time, the concept of a Great Reset. This, This was something that 
I had thought of that many other people I follow have referenced, just this idea of creating new systems and destroying the old ones. This was the idea of Agenda 21, which changed to Agenda 2030, and many other different movements like that. And so what I had been predicting was more of a digital 9-11, or what's referred to sometimes as the I-9-11 event, where something would happen in the digital or internet sphere, something involving electricity maybe, some big event would happen, a huge cyber attack or shutting down the grid or just something like this. And that would spark basically all these changes, the destruction of the markets, you know, all these different things. And uh, that was kind of my rough prediction, uh, I guess, less than a year ago, and something that has been talked about specifically by people like James Edward Pilato of Media Monarchy, among many others. I've heard, uh, I think, Corbett reference a similar idea here. And so that was something that I thought, and I thought that COVID-19 would end up being kind of a test run for these things. Basically, how is society as far as its preparedness for handling a big shift like this? I thought it would be a question of how well propaganda would work on the public in mass, how well the social engineering infrastructure has been built up, the psyche of the general public has been built up and prepared for these shifts and these things that would be forced upon society that society maybe a few years ago would definitely have been totally against. I talked about this idea of the Hegelian dialectic, problem, reaction, solution, and how basically that steers you into something that you otherwise would have been against. I compared it to 9-11, kind of similar deal. People would have been against being tracked and traced and monitored and surveilled. And then afterwards, they were all about it. I then tied that in with COVID-19 and the idea of contact tracing that would have been basically a conspiracy theory a few years ago. And now again, that's common knowledge. That's a common theme. And so I, I again, was considering COVID-19 as kind of a test run for all these things. And I still think that it was a test run and roughly is. And I still think there will be something else. I don't think that the pandemic scare that we've had so far, and I'm recording this at the beginning of November. So we've had a decent bit of scares and freakouts, and we've had the lockdowns and mask mandates and all kinds of crazy stuff. We had a brief stock market crash, riots in the streets. So it hasn't necessarily been calm. This hasn't been any minor event. It has caused major shifts, major changes. But I am still predicting that we will have more, whether it be a ramping up of this or whether it be something different, whether it be a digital event, an internet or cybersecurity event, or whether it be civil unrest, or more likely all of these things, I think that is coming. I think that is the dark winter that we have been pre-programmed to expect, pretty much. And I do believe that whatever this or these events end up being in this dark winter that we are just about to hit... I think they will be the event. I think that it has been shown and proven that society is ready for this. And I'm not saying that in a positive way at all. But when you have something as simple as, let's say, 
the lockdowns where even the World Health Organization came out and said, do not do lockdowns as a measure to fight COVID-19. If you need to do a lockdown to prepare or to stock up or to kind of reset your attack on how you're going to strategize things as a nation or as a region, then so be it. You can do a limited time lockdown to basically reorganize. But it should not be a measure used to fight COVID-19. And that is straight from the World Health Organization. And yet we are going through the second wave of lockdowns as I record this. And more places are locking down. Even though we have the data, you can look at the charts, you have the World Health Organization, among many others, saying that this is not an effective way to combat it. And yet people are still going on with it. 100%. There is massive support for this even, even among the citizens that are losing their jobs and massively affected by this. And a lot of that is because of the propaganda machine that's been built up. And so that's one example. The second example I would give would be the mask mandates. I have at least half a dozen scientific, peer-reviewed, randomized control studies that show that masks are not effective for fighting influenza-like viruses or some even for COVID-19. And uh, there's even one specific study that shows that cloth masks are less effective than no mask at all in stopping the spread of an influenza-like virus. And these are scientific studies. They're peer-reviewed. They're out there. They're published. You can access them. Anyone can. This is evidence, like actual evidence, hard evidence, hard facts. And even though this exists, and even though anyone can look at it, even though the people in charge surely have seen this or been hit with this, even though you have big events where many doctors come out and give statements, things like the uh, the Barrington Declaration, where they basically went over a lot of this stuff as well. Even though we have that, and we have the experts, we have the science behind it, we have the actual randomized studies Even though we have all this, there are still mandates in effect and more going into effect. And people are more religious about masks now more than ever. I can't think of a better example to show that basically society is ready to be led in whatever direction people want to lead it in. Whatever direction the machine steers society towards, that is the way the masses will go. And I think it has been fine-tuned. It has been ingrained in people through things like the education system, which I have harped on many times. And I think that that is where we are. I think COVID-19 has proven this and examples like I just gave should be pretty hardcore evidence um, to that degree. And so I think that now that that has been shown, I, I do, I will admit, I do think that COVID-19 could now be used as the event. I don't think it's needed to do anything further, but I think it would help a lot because there are still plenty of people that are not okay with this agenda, that are totally against this agenda, and these would be people that are relatively normal and mainstream, the normies, so to say, are still not all on board. You still have a good divide. You still have this strong divisiveness in this area, and that is good to a degree from a divide and conquer standpoint, that is what you want. You want the citizenry divided against itself, fighting against itself, and then they are not looking at anyone behind the scenes or any further research or evidence. And so that can be very beneficial. But I believe that there will be more events or an event that will happen 
the specific things I would say would be like a dark winter where you have a second wave of COVID-19 and big massive freakout, whether that's real or not, or whether there is maybe a new bioweapon that gets released. Um, who knows? But I think there will be something related to uh, a, bio- a biological component, a component of the pandemic. I think that is one thing. I think there will also be civil unrest. I think that is something that is coming to an even greater degree. We had the, I guess you would call them the George Floyd riots, roughly, um, even though that story ended up not really holding much water later on. But basically, you had all these protests, especially in the States, people rioting and breaking windows and looting stores and setting things on fire, just all kinds of crazy stuff. And so I think we are going to get more of that, especially right after the election. That's that's my kind of near-term prediction here. And then the third aspect is I think there will be an internet component. I think something will happen, or there will be uh, maybe a hyping up of the alt-right. That would be my best guess, and uh, I guess I'll talk about that here in a little bit. But I think there will be something that will... Be a cause for a more regulated internet. And I think that is coming. So I think those are the three components of what I would say would be the dark winter. There'll be a pandemic component, an unrest component, and and maybe a cybersecurity component. And all those will come together to be the event. And that's what I would say is my personal prediction. So as far as getting a little more specific here, I definitely predict that Donald Trump will be reelected for president. I think that is a, at least in my mind, that's a pretty sure bet. I wouldn't bet my house on it, but I would bet a good bit of money on it pretty quickly and easily without much thought. I think that the main reason for this is that Donald Trump is although I do not believe he truly represents these things, but as far as the perception of the public, which is really all that matters, Donald Trump represents the anti-establishment movement. He represents the Republicans. He represents the Tea Party movement. He represents all of these things, conservative values. And yes, I know this sounds absolutely ridiculous when you actually look at the facts and look at who he is, but still, for some reason, he represents these things. He represents conspiracies and QAnon and fighting the deep state and all these things. And so basically, you have all of these aspects and all of these ideologies and all these perspectives that would be totally against the kind of new world order, sustainable development, agenda 2030, whatever you want to call it, that global agenda, the society, the elect ideal, the Fabian socialists, you know, all these different groups that have been pushing for this vision of society, the groups that people perceive as being represented by Donald Trump are largely against a lot of these ideas, a lot of these visions of utopia, so to say. And so what I think is that there is something coming. We will have this great reset. We will have the dark winter. We will have the event that will shift all of these old systems. Like I said in my entire season two, that you know, basically the old establishments and institutions are going to they're going to shift. They're going to go down. They're going to be diminished. They're going to some be destroyed. And a lot of that power and influence in these things will come into the hands of something new. And there will be new power dynamics and new power shifts, new influence paradigms, these types of things. And so I think that because this is going to happen, and this, I think, needs to happen, and I think you especially need to crash and destroy all of these 
ideologies and people that are against this new system. I think you want Trump holding the bag when everything crashes. If Biden is left holding the bag when all this stuff goes down, that doesn't really help very much. You just embolden the conservatives, the Republicans, the anti-establishment people, the QAnon folks, you know, all those groups. They will be more hardcore than ever if Biden wins and then everything comes crumbling down. And that will be a major step back, many steps back towards this overall agenda, at least I think. Now, you could say that Trump is in reality, actually pushing us towards that agenda. And I would not argue with you on that. But I I think you really do need to kind of destroy the, at least the normalcy of the anti-agenda movement, so to say. And I think you can do that, at least among the normies, the masses, the large perspectives, the large perception at least. I think this can happen if Trump is holding the bag when everything comes crashing down. I think then you can blame that on neocon policies. You can blame it on the laissez-faire economics and free markets. You can blame it on the anti-establishment. You know, we, we just need government to actually do what it's supposed to do. We just need new people in there. We need to approach this differently, you know, all these different things that will get said when basically everything comes crashing down. And Again, I think Trump is the person that needs to be holding the bag for the future of this shift to be massively successful, and I think that it will be. So again, I do think that we will have this uh, crashing down of everything. I think we're going to have the dark winter, the unrest, we're going to have protests. I think we'll have the real market crash, and or we'll have inflation of the dollar, So uh, going way back to season one, I did an episode, I think it was the one called Debt-Based Society, where I talked about the current status of our economic system, fiat money, all of these things, central banking, and kind of where that has led us and what, basically what our situation is now. And I think that basically all the things that I talked about then are going to be coming to a head now. And you could go back and listen to that and basically uh, fast forward my timeline, at least what I was thinking in my head when I recorded that episode, because I think COVID has fast forwarded all of these things. All of these are trends that already existed. All of these things are agendas that were already being pushed forward. They were being pushed forward in more of a Fabian way, something that was slow and gradual and progressive. This idea of generational thinking like the Society of the Elect, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, that's always been that strategy of uh, these types of people and groups and institutions. And COVID-19 just massively accelerated all of that. And so I think all of that is coming to a head. I think that stocks will react to all these things that are going down, to economies basically plummeting. Uh, Economies around the world are in worse shape, definitely much worse shape than they were before COVID-19. I don't think there's any arguing that. And stocks are at all-time highs. That doesn't make sense. You also have the fact that trillions of dollars have been printed in relief from all around the world in many different countries And yet the money supply, although it's been inflated itself, the pricing power and the values are not inflated much. And so I think that's an issue as well. We are starting to see higher prices on certain items, but overall we have not seen any kind of major inflation. And so I think both of these things are going to catch up. I think that if inflation catches 
first and you have a major currency start to see uh, something resembling more runaway inflation, that's going to be a big deal because the way to combat that is to raise interest rates. You raise interest rates, then all of a sudden, all of that debt that all of these countries have, all these corporations have is unserviceable. You can't pay the debt when the rates go up and all of a sudden you owe even more than you can make monthly payments on and yeah, you're screwed. You can't do that because we are this debt-based society. And again, you can refer back to that previous episode. But I think that that's going to be a worse problem because if you raise the interest rates, then you automatically crash everything and you're totally screwed. I think it might be a little more gentle if you have stocks react first. And if stocks were to crash, then you would probably have some sort of bailouts that would come into play. You'd get more money printed. You would have some inflation start to come up. But a lot of a lot of these things are much more manageable at that point because you've already had maybe bailouts or bankruptcies or different things like this. The system has already been shown to have some major faults. It's crashing down. And so it would be a lot easier to have excuses for inflation or to use a different system so that you don't end up with the same results that you would in our current system if you just automatically print off you know, $10 trillion in one day, that kind of thing. And so uh, regardless, though, uh, the result's the same. Basically, you have an economic crash worldwide. And with this, I think that we will see a push for the new monetary system, something along the lines of Bretton Woods, where you have... Uh, a similar system, but you have some major changes and overhauls going on, and it's a worldwide effort and conglomeration of different countries and central banks all coming together and building basically a new monetary system. And so I think that is coming. I think that will have a digital component. I have talked about this as well, about digital central bank currencies. And I think this will come into play. I think we'll shift more towards uh, modern monetary theory and digital currencies. And I think that all of this will have a more global focus. So that is my prediction as far as markets and currencies. I think that there will also be more political independence, more federal resistance overall. So going back with the themes of season two, this idea of politics and political issues becoming more and more regionalized, more and more localized, I think that will be a thing. I think like in the US, we'll get to something that resembles more of a constitutional mindset where states have more freedoms and they have more variety, so to say. And even within states, different cities will have different policies that will be very different than other counties and other places in the state. And I think this will happen uh, worldwide, at least among the main major countries of the West. And I think all of my related uh, theories and comments in the previous season will be coming to fruition much quicker than I anticipated. I thought this was like a 10-year, 20-year trend. And I think this is coming up in my prediction timeline here of one to five years. And so I think these will become more and more obvious and more and more uh, massive in scale, more macro. And Another aspect of this would be, again, this idea of destruction and rebuilding. And I think this will take place not only in the economy, not only with the monetary system, not only with uh, political institutions and the whole political dynamic, but I think this will also happen with cities. We're seeing cities, massive cities all around the world, 
that are up in arms, these huge protests and streets are burning, people are fleeing the cities, places like New York and California, people are fleeing. They were already fleeing to a degree because taxes were so high, they couldn't really make a lot of money. And so a lot of the wealthy people and wealthy companies were already leaving the state. And then you have these massive riots and lockdowns and people are burning stuff and looting. And yeah, you know, definitely get out. And this has been happening. And I think this will happen where cities will be destroyed, so to say, and destroy is probably a very strong word here, and that's not the extent of what I am really trying to say. But I think there will be an aspect of destruction within a lot of the major cities around the world. And I think this will come with what I predicted earlier, the idea of the dark winter scenario and having protests and unrest. I think cities will be a big target for this. And I think the key here is getting back to the Agenda 2030 idea of sustainable development, this idea of having a smart grid and smart cities and basically being able to surveil everyone, track and trace everything. I think this is going to happen. I think it must happen in the big cities to be successful according to that agenda. And I think the only way to do that is to uh, pretty much destroy the cities the way they are now. You destroy them, you build them back better. It's the same theme. And I think that will and is happening. And so that's that's another prediction there. I think a similar thing is happening and will happen with schools where there will be a lot more... Uh, of a virtual component incorporated into schooling and education. And I think that it will become even more, or even less, I should say, relational and physical. And things will become more and more about uh, basically memorization and doing things virtually and uh, things that are much more detached. And again, this will break down even further this idea of critical thinking and independent thought. And I think that that is a trend that will pick up as well. I think that will also be incorporated with entertainment and uh, personal time, so to say. I think there'll be a lot more people that will be uh, continuing their relationships virtually, talking to people through Zoom and FaceTime and whatever new apps start to come up and companies start to you know, create their different niches in these areas. Virtual reality will probably start to pick up uh, quicker than I expected. And I think that will become a more mainstream component to anything from gaming to, uh, again, keeping up with people and communicating and talking and having meetings and watching movies and all these kinds of things. I think the trend towards streaming will be more and more solidified where you'll have even less people with a cord, basically uh, subscribing to cable and the like, and more and more people just doing streaming services. Everything's internet-based, less and less physical copies of CDs and DVDs and these types of things, even just full-blown desktop computers. And people being more digital and more remote and more virtual. I think uh, with the desktop computer thing, I probably spoke a little early on that. I think what will happen will be that even work itself will shift and will continue to be more and more virtual so that people will have home offices. And I think that's where you will probably have a dedicated home desktop computer that will be set up as a workspace. And I think it will be pretty common to see people with home offices that are uh, pretty firmly established. I know a lot of times people will set up a computer in a guest room and use it to work on as, you know, a quote unquote 
office, but I think this will become a more of a staple in people's homes and much more mainstream, much more common as we shift to a more digital life, so to say. With this, this does shift into the idea of a new internet or a regulated internet or a basically an I-911 false flag scenario, which probably will happen. That is the other component to my prediction here. And I think one aspect that's just inherent in this shift towards a more digital life is that you have digital filters to information, to social connections, to education. If you are learning remotely through any platform whatsoever, then what if the curriculum or the presentation that is being given or whatever the case may be, what if the information is deemed to be unfit for use in the public school system. Well, it can in real time be turned off and censored. This actually has already happened. I don't remember the specific example, so I won't actually quote it right now, but I'm sure you could find it if you looked it up, or maybe my listeners might have heard of this because you're probably uh, paying attention to similar things that I am. But this has happened where there was some presentation or interview or speech given at a main major university. I can't remember which one it was, but basically in the middle of it, the stream got cut down. And it was because the content was deemed to be unfit and they didn't want that out there. And so they just stopped it. And so there is this filter, this uh, possible censorship ability that exists when you are digital. That doesn't necessarily exist in a classroom with a teacher. Now, again, there's a lot of control. I've talked about this plenty about curriculum choices and options and the structure of the system and the pedagogy and all these different kinds of things. But the idea of being able to have such precise control over everything is just totally taking it to the next level. This is, again, similar in the social sphere, where what if someone is deemed to be, I don't know, unfit to socialize with people? Maybe they have been uh, flagged as a threat. Maybe they have said some offensive things, made some racist comments, or you know, who knows what. All of a sudden, all of their social interaction can be completely shut down. And when you have shifted to interacting with people, having social connections more virtually and digitally, this becomes a much bigger deal than it was before. It's already a really big deal because, again, with technology today, that is a common mode of communication interaction is this digital internet-based mode. But even more so as this gets accelerated through these different shifts, that will become a big deal as well. And then a final aspect to these, uh, I, I guess this concept of having digital filters would be to just information as a whole. I will uh, probably talk about this. I, I guess I didn't talk about it when I mentioned Brave New World. Uh, I will probably talk about this later on in the upcoming season, but it's the idea of newspeak. And it's similar when you even go back to Plato's Republic. So again, I don't know why I didn't mention this in previous episode where I talked about these specific books and these concepts, but it's the idea of, of newspeak where you are censoring people's ideas and how they think and what they think by not even giving them access and exposing them to certain things. And so with newspeak, if you're not exposed for 
any word or definition that resembles something like rebellion, then how can you ever think of the idea of rebelling if you've never even encountered that before? That's not something that you have ever been made aware of. That's not a concept you understand because there is no word for that. There is no way to express that concept. You don't see it out in the world. It's not presented to you in movies or in cartoons or in real life and in conversation. And so ideally, uh, from this perspective, at least not my ideal, but ideally from a perspective of social engineering and control, then the citizenry is going to be much less rebellious because uh, there just isn't this idea. They, they can't really conceptualize this very easily. The same is true with Plato's Republic, his idea of censoring all music, and this would be art and poetry and stories, and you don't want the masses to hear the story of the Titans rebelling against the gods that might give them some bad ideas. You only want to hear the stories where the masses are basically subordinate to the gods and are very respectful and all of these kinds of things. And they will hopefully transfer these ideas to the authorities of the philosopher kings that are basically ruling over them. And you will not get, again, rebellion and things like this, at least in general in your society, if they haven't even been exposed to stories about rebellion. This, again, is not a concept they've been exposed to, so then they won't think of it and they won't act on it, they won't do it. Even if they do think about it, it'll be so crazy and so out there that you know, why, why would anybody actually want to do that? That's just crazy talk. And so that's the idea of when you bring this back to current digital filters, what if you just aren't exposed to certain perspectives, to certain ideas? What if when you search on YouTube or search through Google or are flipping through your Facebook feed or looking through Twitter or whatever platform you're using, you are using the internet to access information. Information is there, but what if there is a cutoff between you and that information? So if you're searching for any conspiratorial aspects of the Federal Reserve being created, what if you just don't get any? What if all you get is kind of the mainstream, what you'd read in a textbook thing where, oh yeah, there was a group of guys that met in secret because you know they just knew that people would get the wrong idea. So they had to meet in secret to develop the best and greatest monetary system the world had ever seen. And they did it. And isn't it wonderful? And basically that would be the idea of conspiracy that would get presented to you. And you can do this, you can actually filter what ideas and concepts people come across when they have gone fully digital because you had this digital filter between the people and the ideas. It's it's the same concept of Newspeak, the same concept of Plato's censorship model in Republic. And I could go on and on and on about this concept. It's been used over and over again. And I think that will be be more and more prevalent. We are already seeing Facebook play a more prominent role in censorship and filtering things. Same with YouTube, same with Google just in general with their search, same with all of these different platforms. It is coming and it is here. And I think, again, it will get accelerated just like everything else. And so that's an aspect. And my final prediction that does tie in with these as well is that you'll have a big rise in the idea of domestic terrorism and conspiracy theorists being the new enemy. I think that will be a big thing. I think it's this idea of basically an invisible enemy that we have. We already have it with the virus. And I think that will... That same idea, at least, will 
hit the physical space as well, the meat space. And so while you have this invisible virus that you never know who's a carrier, you never know who's going to get you sick and who's going to kill your grandma and whatever else, you got to be careful. You never know, you know, is this person the one? Maybe so. Maybe they don't even know, you know, this kind of idea. I think it'll be the same thing. And domestic terrorism will be the new boogeyman where you never know, is that guy one of those crazy QAnon people and they're going to blow up the state house? You know, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Maybe they don't even know it. Maybe they haven't been activated yet online and someone's going to get to them through Russian disinformation or you know whatever. I think there's going to be these types of things. And I think that's going to get promoted more and more. And again, when you have someone like a Donald Trump that from some perspectives represent a lot of these ideas, then when that stuff comes crashing down and that becomes even less and less mainstream to be what you might call a conspiracy theorist, even uh, someone like me, for example, and probably someone like you. Uh, we may not believe in something like a QAnon or go crazy about aliens and stuff, but you know, lizard people, we might not go that far. But we can see, and there are records of actual conspiracy all throughout history, and we can recognize that, and we can uh, make some predictions about the obvious conspiracies that are going on currently, even though they haven't actually been completely outed and admitted to yet. We will be the new potential domestic terrorists, and we will get red flagged. We will get bumped up on the list. And I think that is happening as well. When you have the idea of a regulated internet, of this digital panopticon, and everything you do is being watched, surveilled, ran through algorithms, it is very easy under a system like this to catch all of these types of people. They can catch me in a heartbeat and flag me for being a potential domestic terrorist. And I don't even have to do anything. Once you add in the component of pre-crime, which is something that is already being worked on, then yeah, that could not go so well. And I think that will come into play as well. So you'll have this double effect here where you'll have this new biosecurity paradigm that will take the front stage away from the idea of physical terrorism. Ever since 9-11, it was physical terrorism. That's what we're fighting. Uh, most people still believe that's why the U.S. is in the Middle East because, you know, who knows, terrorism. And that's it. And that's as far as the thinking goes. Usually that's about the depth of it. And so uh, I think that is going to shift to a biosecurity model where it's all about viruses and germs, genetic modification, genetic engineering, these types of things. I think that's going to be a new thing, new vaccines, uh, implants, different things like this. I think that is going to be the new main focus. And then I think there will also be running in the background this physical terrorism idea, but running along a similar model of something less visible, less obvious, less easy to evaluate and decipher, and that will be this domestic terrorism aspect here. And I think that will be running in the background. So I think that concludes all of my predictions for the coming year, five years-ish. And that is your special 100th episode. So you can listen to this a year from now, five years from now, and see how horribly wrong I was or how unfortunately accurate I ended up being. We will see. It should be interesting. So there is that. I will also let you know that I do have a more solid plan for the next few episodes. I 
I've mentioned that I'm going to do one on investing, talk about cryptocurrency, stocks, these kinds of things, gold, uh, homesteading. I want to talk about that. Permaculture. I want to talk about manufacturing consent. That was a request, and I think that is more and more something that is very relevant. And I referenced a few of those aspects, talking about the idea of building up this propaganda system and using the media and access to information. All of these will come into play with the manufacturing consent model and so I want to do an episode on that. I also want to do one on the biosecurity model, uh, basically a whole episode on what I just mentioned, you know, 30 seconds ago, just this idea of the new paradigm being biosecurity and what that means and what are the specific examples where that is getting laid out, the foundation is being laid for that and how that is playing out and will play out, that kind of thing. And then I also want to do an episode just specifically on other podcasts, I think that that can be really helpful. I really enjoy it when uh, I am listening to other podcasts and I hear interviews with other people or I hear them reference a different podcast and it gives me ideas and I search out these people or these shows and I usually can find some really cool stuff. And so I want to do an episode where I talk about, I'll just pull up basically my podcast app and talk about all the podcasts that I listen to personally that I really enjoy, what I enjoy about them, what they are and what they talk about, that kind of thing. And so maybe that'll give you some good ideas and some good leads for looking into more content and uh, maybe it can help you to get a little more focused where if I actually describe what each one is about, then maybe there's two or three that really sound good to you or maybe even only one or maybe all of them, who knows. But I want to do a whole episode where I do uh, podcast reviews-ish, recommendations-ish. And so I'm going to do that as well. And eventually I will go ahead and get into season three that is upcoming it will be here once I finish up with all these more random personal opinion type things. So that's where we're going. And with that, I will drop my thank yous to everyone who supports this podcast in every single way. Thank you for interactions on Twitter, for emails that have come in. I just got another one that I saw today. So thank you very much. And also for the Patreon supporters, especially, that is extremely helpful and encouraging to have people actually financially support the show. That is awesome. You are awesome. Thank you very much. I have not been giving a lot of content for the patrons, so um, I know that doesn't really spark a lot of new interest for those of you that are not patrons yet. But if you are a patron and you want more extra special content, then just send me an email and request it, and I'll probably just do it for you but i'll release it for all the patrons as well but i've just not been focusing on that i guess that the patrons i do have are just supporting the show because they want to be supportive of what i do and the information i'm presenting and my research and all this stuff and hopefully that is the main reason hopefully it's not the perks um, but i do still like giving out the perks it's just sometimes and my focus is not on that. That is not my priority. But if you are a patron and you are willing and able to financially support, then you do have permission to request that I do a specific episode on something or give you some kind of special exclusive content. Um, I have done that in the past and I still do that every once in a while. But um, if you are missing that, uh, it has been a little while since I've done one, then please just let me know and I can do that. Other than that, Thank you for listening. Thank you for the downloads. Thank you for any new reviews that I may or may not have. I haven't checked recently. And just thank you overall for all of your support. I really appreciate it. And with that, I'm out. Peace. 
This has been another episode of Our Foundations Podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. Goodbye.